Hello, my name is Leslie Goodburn. I'm a Pancreatic Cancer UK supporter, and you're here today listening to some podcasts that we're doing. The reason that we're doing the podcast is because there are two small words, pancreatic cancer, two small words that actually have a massive impact on people, that cause devastation, that create psychological, emotional and physical pain. Before 2014, I didn't really know a great deal about pancreatic cancer. I knew that it was one of the cancers that had a poor survival rate, but that was probably all I knew. In 2014, my husband Seth was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. We were thrust into a world of palliative and end-of-life care, and unfortunately, 33 days after diagnosis, Seth died from pancreatic cancer. Seth didn't really stand a chance, couldn't get treatment because actually the disease was diagnosed at such a late stage that there wasn't the possibility to have any other outcome than Seth was going to die. So after Seth died, spent a lot of time thinking about how to support Pancreatic Cancer UK to raise awareness of the disease, of the signs and symptoms, to raise money. So I've spent the last four years working with various different organisations, getting GPs trained, raising funds through doing things with Emma Bridgewater Pottery, doing charity balls, um, standing in the, in the street during Awareness Month and giving out leaflets to raise awareness. Um, Last year we did some work around patient stories, this year we're doing the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts. The podcasts are designed to give everyone who listens to them an idea about what the pancreas does, why it's important, what its function is, what happens when cancer forms, what the signs and symptoms of the disease are, how people can recognise those, recognise those signs and symptoms so that they can go to the GP and hopefully get diagnosed early enough for treatment to be an option. We're going to talk to some of the UK's leading clinicians, nurses, allied health professionals, experts in various different fields, and most importantly, we're going to talk to some patients and families who've experienced the disease. So over the course of Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, which is November, the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts will be broadcast and it'll give you all an opportunity to understand the disease much better, to think about how you can support raising awareness going forward and to spread the word about pancreatic cancer and hopefully make sure that in the future many more people are diagnosed earlier and people are given the chance for treatment, the chance that Seth never had. I'm Charlotte Foster, podcaster and journalist. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to a woman who has experienced pancreatic cancer herself and talks about it really openly in her own podcast. Her name is Cariad Lloyd. When she was 15, her father died from pancreatic cancer and she uses that experience to now talk about grief and what grief means to different people. Now, as we know, sadly, pancreatic cancer is one of those cancers that, to be blunt, if you've got it, the odds are not stacked in your favour. So that means your loved ones are going to have to more than likely eventually deal with grief. I've been talking to Cariad about this and I began by asking her about her dad. 
My dad died of pancreatic cancer when I was 15, um, around 20 years ago. And um, yeah, he was diagnosed in the February and then dead by the April. What was that like for you as a, as a teenager in particular? Uh, yeah, hard. <laughs> very hard, very difficult. And I think, um, you know, I now do a podcast about it called Griefcast, where I talk to people who have experienced um, different ways of um, grief and bereavement and dying. And I think it, it massively affected the whole of my life, to be honest. I think I was in shock for quite a long time because it was such a, a fast death. What was your dad like as a person? Um, <laughs> he was a big character. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. He was a big character. You definitely knew he was in the room. Is how I sometimes like to describe him. And he was a triathlete as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a triathlete. Yeah, he ran marathons my whole life. He ran the first ever London marathon, I think. And we used to travel the world with him running different marathons. So he, we went to Moscow and Barbados. And he, I think he won one in New York and Boston and... Um, then he moved into triathlons and he was actually training for an Ironman when, which is a sort of extreme triathlon when he got sick. I think it's a ridiculous triathlon if you ask. Yes. Yeah, yeah, extremely, <laughs> extremely hard, uh, mad thing to do. But yeah, so he was a very, very fit and healthy man at the time. <laughs> so how much of a surprise was it, this diagnosis? Yeah, huge, huge, I'd say. My mum says that... Um, the only thing she can remember is like the sort of September before he'd, I think he'd run a half marathon or a 10K somewhere. And he said, you know, he just felt like he couldn't run as well as normal. And my mum said, oh, he hadn't been training very well. He'd been a bit slack on it. So she said to him, well, you know, probably that's why. But he said, oh, I just didn't feel like he'd get, get going. Um, and that was sort of in the September the year before. And um, yeah, he just, he turned yellow is what happened. So in the February, he went yellow and was very ill. And everyone said it's jaundice. And then they started doing more tests. They said it's liver cancer. And then eventually they said, oh, actually the primary tumor is wrapped around the pancreas. And so it's pancreatic cancer and secondary liver cancer. So um, yeah, it was a very sort of sudden quick diagnosis but obviously as is typical with pancreatic cancer it was really kind of too late by the time we found out what was happening I remember being just generally very angry with the world when I was 15 and I don't know how I would have reacted to anything like that happening to to either of my parents you say it's affected your entire life yeah, and I don't mean that necessarily in like a hugely negative way. Um, but of course, it's like, it's just, I think what I'm trying to do with my podcast, Griefcast, is really talk about the fact that um, when someone dies, you don't get over it. It just becomes part of your life. So it's affected the rest of my life because obviously your one of your parents dying is one of the biggest things that can happen to you and the analogy I always use of like you know if you had a baby someone wouldn't say to you when that child was 10 oh my god they're 10 like get over it stop looking after them like but people say oh they've been dead 10 years surely you're fine it's like you're kind of never going to be yeah you're not going to get over it you learn to live with it and I said it's not to be negative I think it's given me great strength and it's given me great emotional intelligence because I went through something so young but that doesn't mean it doesn't come with 
other factors. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I was very, very angry as a teenager because I had, you know, most teenagers are angry without really having a reason. And I had a very good reason. <laughs> so Yeah, I think of, of list of reasons, that's quite high up. Yeah, so I really went for the anger because I felt very justified. <laughs> I was like, this is definitely worth it. I, I, I'd let you off that one, I think. Just, <laughs> just a little bit. You mentioned about a time scale of grief. And that's something that when I've spoken to friends who've, who've lost pe- lost their husbands, lost their partners, lost their parents as well. That's something that they talk about as well. Is that they're expected to have this deadline of right over it, move on. It it doesn't happen, does it? No, it, it doesn't. And it's not to say you'll feel the same, you know, awful, unbearable sadness as I think you do the first year um, forever. You don't. You definitely move through things and you, you know, have normal days. And, you know, I can have a whole year where I feel fine or I can have a year where, I, I, you know, for, for six months of it, I feel terrible. Like it. It really, and I think that's what's now we're now moving into is, um, I think it's a form of grief that was coined by Lois Tompkin. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea that life grows around this grief, but the grief, the size of that grief, never really changes. Life just grows around it, and so you can't quite see it as clearly as you used to. Um, but obviously, things remind you of them or crop up, or it's Christmas, or it's a birthday, or it's Father's Day, or somebody says something like, God, I hate my dad, he's so annoying. And there's so many tiny ways that you can be reminded of it. And I think sometimes, you know, the language that you even like, you know, lost and, oh, they've, you know, gone to a better place, all these things. It's like, my dad died he's dead that's a huge thing that I went through and it always will be and if I want to be upset about it I will be (laughs) because I accept that it's a big thing and I think we need to get better at letting people be upset about things this might sound like a strange question but was it easier with it being such a a quick death no it was only from diagnosis to dying very short space of time do you think it would have been harder watching him ebb away or over over months no, I think, and I hope you don't mind me saying, I think that's a really f- bad false road to go down, which mm. lots of people do when mm. they haven't experienced it. And when he died, lots of people said that to us. They were like, oh, it's so good. It was quick. He would have hated to be ill. And that's not to say, that's not to say you're not right. Yes, I agree with you. My dad was a very active person. I don't think he would have enjoyed being ill. But then you get into scales. Well, you know, would we have like one more month, one more week? a day like you know well what's what's enough and what's too much what's traumatic for him and what's beneficial to me I think however someone dies is hard and we look for logic we're desperate to find like oh it was quick and that's why it was okay and it's like maybe it just wasn't okay that he died maybe it's just very sad and very tragic and if we talk about it in its true sense it's a really, really sad tragic thing that happened to me that doesn't mean I'm in pieces now but when we try and cover it and make it better and put it in a neat box we deny what it is which is a really sad thing and that's why people think oh I should be over it because you know they did die quickly or they were 85 and you know we did know they were going to die like these things can help but they don't take away the sadness of a death and it's okay to be sad about a death isn't it absolutely it's okay it's okay to be sad and I think that's the biggest problem we face is we don't want to be sad so we don't want to let other people be sad because we think well the best thing I can do is cheer them up And it's like, sometimes you can, but you have to kind of check in and go, do they just need to be sad today? Or do they need cheering up today? Like, what is it? And obviously it's not a perfect system and there's no rule book for it. But, you know, again, I just, 
I hark on about this a lot about birth and death being very similar, but we wouldn't say to a child, like, today you're not allowed to be sad, today I'm cheering you up. We'd be like, God, what does that kid need today? It seems like they just need a quiet day in. Okay, let's do that. The same with someone who's grieving. Like, what do they need today? Maybe they need to go out and not talk about it. Or maybe today they just need to spend the whole day talking about it. Do you think a lot of the problem is we don't want to talk about it because it just reminds us of the fact that, you know, one day we're going to die and it's a big, scary unknown, isn't it? Yeah, I think the problem is we don't talk about it, so it stays a big, scary unknown. If we all talked about it a lot more, it wouldn't be such a scary unknown. If we'd all seen more people die, I'm not saying get yourself down to the nursing home, but (laughs) if you talk to your friends who've been through it and you understand and you're prepped, you know, when you buy a house, people like to give you advice. They're like, when I bought a house, I did this. You should see this person. And we need to get better at that with death. You know, this is a good funeral director. When someone dies, this is what a death rattle might sound like. This is how long it might take. Like, if we could help each other and share that information, perhaps it wouldn't be so terrifying. And that death rattle, I've heard it from... My nan died at home Mm. when I was 20. I'd come back from university for it. And I watched her die. And it was both the most upsetting but comforting thing in the same time. It was because I knew she was at home. But the thing... Well, I'll... I don't know if this will make the actual edit. The thing that really annoyed me, she was a really strong practicing Roman Catholic and the priest wouldn't give her last rites. So just coming out of my teenage years to my early 20s, I was very angry at that as well because I knew that was the only thing that she wanted. He just said, oh, too busy, I'll I'll say a prayer. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty shit. (laughs) Isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, that's shit. And And you have every right to be angry about that. That's the thing of like people can make mistakes during the death process and it's important that rather than those mistakes just being like shoved away which is when you get angry is they go okay well how can we make sure that doesn't happen how can I tell a priest that wasn't okay what happened you know like we just need to communicate a lot more about what is upsetting I think and it's about having a good death wherever is possible as well isn't it yeah yeah I mean obviously some people can't they die very tragically and or they're you know they are completely out of control of it but there are ways of trying to have a good death and I think the way to have a good death is that you should talk about it before you are sick or run over by a car so then people yes. know what you wanted yes. um I think and again it's having that conversation having that awkward conversation that you might not want to have but you might you don't want to have it when someone can't tell you anymore what they need and want I'll be honest, when I first started listening to your podcast, Griefcast, uh, it was when it, you got the award recently. Yes. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a listen. I've not seen this, heard this. I felt a little bit like I wasn't allowed to listen because my nan was the last person like close in my family that has died. Mm. I'm, I'm privileged that I'm not really in the club as such or I'm not a new returnee to the club. And I was thinking, oh gosh, am I allowed to listen? And then I thought, well, actually, no, I'm the probably the right person to be listening because I've learned loads about talking to my friends talking to other people who are going through it and just being part of that conversation is that what you wanted to get out of your podcast yeah definitely I mean I definitely started it originally for people in the club because I was like well who else will want to listen to it yeah (laughs) and then people did and they started saying to me oh my god thank you so much my husband slash friend slash partner slash um cousin has just lost their mum slash dad slash brother and they said you know I didn't know how to speak to them but I listened to this episode and it made me realize I should do this and also like you know what I've realized over time from doing it over these two years is like everyone's in the club you know you lost your nan she was important to you you mm. would have grieved for her and we're so quick to have this hierarchy of grief I call it um we're so quick to say oh well I'm that's not important 
And, you know, I had an episode with a comedian, Michael Legg, who came to speak about his dog. And he was like, look, this dog was really important to me. And, you know, his auntie died at the same time. And he said, my auntie lived in Ireland. I barely saw her. I wasn't that close to her. I was sad. But this dog lived with me, put his head on my lap every single night for 10 years and went through so much with me. I was closer to this dog. So, I, of course, I'm grieving this dog in a different way. And I was really impressed that he was able to not feel guilty about that and just to see the honesty of that. Of Like, we're all somehow in the club. We've all lost something along the way um or we all know someone who has so actually but we're, we're all in it we're already all in it we're just pretending we're not you mentioned about a dog my mum lost her cat recently yeah and it really upsets people and, that's... and it, she said to me last night she goes there's not a day since dexter his full name dexter montague foster she says not a day since dexter's died that she hasn't gone out in the garden and thought about him. And she goes, I know it sounds silly. And I was like, well, no, it's not. Because actually they think that's the last cat they're going to have because they moved recently and it's not quite the right space for a cat. And she didn't want to keep an indoor cat. And she says, I'm I'm mourning the loss of Dexter more than I've mourned the loss of other people. But also it's important to acknowledge like what grief is wrapped up in. is like, you're grieving Dexter. You're grieving all the cats. You're Mm. grieving your life moving on. You're grieving the fact that, you know, it's not appropriate for you to get a cat anymore. Like... So much of grief is not always about one death and animals often allow us to grieve people that we've lost and remember that time has passed. And, yeah, you know, that's like the process of, of having a pet that you love. And I think it's not silly at all to go. There was a thing in my life that I loved and it's gone and I'm sad. Why is that silly? I know any other anything else you would be like, yeah, that's normal. That's fine. Yeah, but well, we feel embarrassed. We feel embarrassed of showing emotion because it's if we're vulnerable. Once yeah. we say, I feel this, we're like, oh, now I'm vulnerable. And I think it's just about going, it's okay, it's all right. You're not, it, you know, I think we sometimes forget that we don't live in this world where, um, you know, a tiger can come around the corner and attack us at any moment. Like, we, we, it's okay to feel vulnerable and sad about things. Cariad's award-winning podcast. You can hear that. It's all over the place. You just need to type in Griefcast to hear it. And I recommend you do. You meant you heard me say about how I, when I first started listening to it, I didn't really feel as though I was allowed, but then I started listening to it and I absolutely am allowed to listen to it. I am meant to be, I am allowed to be part of that club. So like I say, go ahead and listen to it. It is at Griefcast that you need to look for wherever you get your podcasts from. Talking about podcasts, obviously you're listening to this podcast. If you are listening, remember we've got a few more podcasts to go. We're delivering you the podcast throughout November for Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. If you are listening and enjoying, please uh, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Just subscribe. That means you won't miss out on any of the podcasts as they come out. And while you're there, go and give us a rating and a review and just let us know what you think of the podcasts you can also head to our website purplerainbow.co.uk